Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, December 20th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Um, things are going good, Graham. COVID is back, as we discussed before we came on air. Yeah, same here in Paris, and I'm guessing, you know, in many parts of the world, but it's really, um, it's sort of bad timing with the holidays and everything else. But yeah, yeah, it's like a bad action movie. You know, it's like the age of Omicron or whatever people are called, you know, it's like a <laughs> Avengers movie or something. I just feel like as soon as we feel like we vanquished this thing or it's gone down, it just sort of creeps back up. So we'll see. Um, I know you got your third uh, jab, as you would say, yes. right? So, <laughs> so hopefully you're protected through the holidays and stuff. Um, but yeah, what's been going on on you know the MBA front? Because I know last week was absolutely crazy, maybe the busiest week, or the last two weeks have really been the busiest for round one yeah. decisions. But do you want to give us a rundown? Yeah, I mean, basically the last two or three weeks, all the top programs have been releasing their decisions. In terms of last week, Wharton and Sloan sort of at the top of the heap there, Haas um, and several other leading programs releasing decisions. Obviously, the week before Harvard and Stanford were the, you know, the, the top programs amongst those weeks. So basically, we go through these cycles, right? So, so for two or, two or three weeks, all round one decisions are released. Now candidates are making decisions in terms of where to attend, um, potentially whether to go into round two, uh, with a bit of a different strategy um, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, lots and lots of activity. What I will say, Graham, this upcoming week, it's going to be quiet. Yeah. In terms of decisions, it might not be quiet in terms of the conversations, in terms of where to go and so on and so forth. But, yeah, we are done now with what we call decision weeks. Yeah, and I love this time because now the sort of, you know, dust is settling and we'll see a lot of activity over on Decision Wire. And in fact, you actually picked a Decision Wire post to talk about this week. So we'll get into that. And I love that debate when people have offers and they have, you know, specific career plans or they have, you know, scholarships that come into play or, you know, the, the job of their spouse. Like there are all these factors, you know, that can can come in. So I love debating where someone should go and we'll get into that. Um, over on the website, we did a, a Real Humans um, last week uh, for Columbia Business School. So we headed to the Big Apple. And speaking of Columbia, I wanted to talk about something really briefly that we saw on the site. There were all these people posting to Livewire saying, geez, I, I applied regular decision to Columbia and it's been crickets and I applied in September or October and man, it's been nine weeks and I've got nothing and you know, am I out of the running? And so what, what's your take on that? Because I, I have a point of view and you and I talked about it a little bit, but what, what's going on? Why are these people kind of scratching their heads, wondering what's, what's happening with Columbia for regular decision? Well, what we do know is Columbia focuses on early decision um, candidates um, without exception before they dip into their regular decision candidates, or at least that's my understanding of their process. So even if you applied early for regular decision, you're not going to get reviewed until they finish reviewing their early decision candidates. Right. Um, so, so I think that's pretty clear. Um, but where the anxiety comes in is now some folks that applied um, for regular decision are starting to get interview invites and some haven't heard a thing. So obviously those that haven't heard a thing are sort of um, looking at, well, when did I apply and, and 
relative to the person that just got an interview invite, when do they apply and therefore am I toast? So, yeah, I mean, it, it creates an anxiety, Graham. Yeah. But they, Columbia does have a very different process to other schools. Yeah. And just for the, to, you know, you're absolutely right. They claim they're going to read all early decision applications and finish that round, which usually wraps up around Thanksgiving before they dip into the next round. The problem is, is that, you know, this year, I think they got through early decision a little bit earlier than usual. And so they started reading regular decision. And so some invites have gone out. I think one of the problems is they say that they review files on a first come first serve basis, but I do want to stress that it's not an exact science and that I know, you know, when a file comes in and is deemed complete, it gets pushed off to a reader and you have no idea what that reader's individual schedule is like that week. Are they running five virtual events and falling behind on their reads or are they totally free and, you know, sitting with a cup of coffee, plowing through a bunch of files. So there's a lot of variability and keep in mind that it's compounded because every file is read twice at Columbia before an interview decision is rendered, and some may even get three reads. So I think you know it would be too soon to sort of throw in the towel, but I get the anxiety that's out there. So if you're waiting on Columbia, just sit tight. There's going to be a bit of a black hole now with the holidays because... They're not going to be reading much um, around Christmas and stuff. So I think if you don't hear, you know, over the course of this week, you're probably not going to hear until sometime in January at this point, because they're going to take a little bit of a break for the holidays too. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Um, but thanks for yeah weighing in, Alex, because I know you've been monitoring <laughs> Livewire and stuff as these comments come in. Yeah, yeah, great. And, and a great explanation, Graham. So hopefully that helps. Yeah. The other thing on the website that we did was we ran down the employment stats for Georgetown's class of 21 at the McDonough School of Business. And so they, you know, they shared some of the facts and figures like $126,000 starting salary on average for graduates with a $34,000 average signing bonus. Um, 96% of that graduating class had offers of employment within three months of graduation. So really nice numbers. Apparently those are all record setting for the school. And then as usual, I just picked out some of the basic stats around geography and on industry placements. So for instance, 32% um, of the class went into financial services, 26% into consulting, 17% tech, 7% consumer packaged goods, and then 6% went into nonprofit social impact. Um, that number might be, um, you know, a little bit influenced by their location in DC. Um, and I, you know, I thought this was interesting, Alex, because I looked back at the last school we had kind of talked about with respect to employment numbers, and that was Ross. And you'll remember Ross had 15% in financial services versus Georgetown's 32%. And they had 35% in consulting versus Georgetown's 26%. And they had more in tech, 25% versus 17. So um, it's just interesting. And I think the reason I bring this up is because it's really important if you're a candidate at these programs to dig into these numbers and think about your own career plan and, and what doors schools are opening for you, because it's different from school to school. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Alex. No, I mean, um, fair play to Georgetown. Th those are some impressive statistics um, um, for that program. Yeah. Agreed. But yeah, no, I mean, I, your, your point is well made, obviously. Um, now that offers are in um, for folks that are now sort of debating between different options and stuff, we'll get into this a little bit later when we um, di diagnose a, a, a decision wire entry. But it's really important to look at those employer stats and look at the geographic opportunities and so on and so forth. And make sure they all align with what you're seeking to do. 
Yeah, and speaking of geography, for Georgetown, 42% of the graduating class landed in the Mid-Atlantic region and 30% landed in the Northeast. So if you think of that kind of D.C. to Boston corridor, or maybe we'll throw in Richmond, um, and you go all the way up to you know Boston, that's 72% of the Georgetown McDonough graduating class. And then 10% went out west, 5% to the Midwest, and 5% to the Southwest. So those are the main facts and figures geographically. And once again, we see that kind of geographic pull where you know a high, high percentage of candidates landing near the school itself, which makes total sense and is true even at the top levels, right? Um, so anyway, that's just interesting stuff. And I encourage people to dive into it, as you said, as they're making their decisions. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention, Alex, is that we really would love to see folks post to DecisionWire. You know, so if you have your offers in hand now from all the different schools that accepted you in round one, um, share that news on DecisionWire. You can post that you're undecided if you don't know where you're going to go, or you can share your, your decision and celebrate it and people will um, you know, chime in and congratulate you and stuff. But it's just really interesting for all applicants to see you know, what's the range of offers out there, what are people doing. And um, sometimes that could influence somebody's round two strategy. Or, you know, so, so definitely post to DecisionWire, and then we might even talk about it on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, not too much else going on. We need more reviews and ratings for the podcast, as always. I was thinking, Alex, at some point we should make a T-shirt for the podcast, but I'm not really a designer, so we'll have to think about <laughs> about what we could do there. But I thought it'd be kind of fun to have like a wiretaps T-shirt, um, and we could, you know, set it up on one of those uh, websites where you just, you know, they're made on demand and everything. But I need to come up with a design idea and find someone to design it. So. Um, stay tuned. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> um, anyway, if people want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. And without further ado, I guess we can move into the candidates, Alex. Yeah, let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So we've got an MBA apply wire entry. And this person's starting school in the fall of 22, or at least aiming to do that. And they have eight schools on their target list. And those schools are Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Harvard, Michigan, NYU, Wharton, and Yale. They've been working in financial services, and they would love to pivot into consulting. And they list uh, Kearney, Bain, BCG, Deloitte. Ernst & Young, McKinsey, and PwC as targets. They have a GPA of 3.35. They have a GMAT score of 650, although there's a little more to that story that we'll get into. And they've been working for four years. They're located in New York, and they are an underrepresented um, minority. Um, so they uh, you know, have been working as a result of being underrepresented. They've actually availed themselves of Management Leadership for Tomorrow, which is a great program that helps um, URMs uh, kind of navigate the business school application process. Um, the other big thing here is that this candidate in the notes says they are a college dropout. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that means in terms of did they ever go back and finish or is it sort of an incomplete degree? And I asked that question and they didn't really clarify, but um, so we'll have to navigate that. But I wanted to just turn it over to you. What do you make of this candidacy? Because they talk about a lot of the interesting things they've done work-wise and, and they're a URM and you know they're, they're really excited about going to business school, but they did drop out of college. So what do you make of this and how does an admissions reader look at a file with this kind of an issue in it? Yeah, this is going to be, well, I think this is quite a very challenging profile um, that could go sort of either way in terms of their overall app execution and how, how it all plays out. 
Um, They've noted they're a college dropout. I'm hoping that they actually have an undergraduate degree, i.e. they came back and completed. They haven't explicitly made that clear, but I'm assuming that that is the case. Because if they didn't do that, then I think we're, we're talking a little bit of a different story in terms of how that would be perceived by um, Adcom. Yeah. So let's make the assumption that they, they, they dropped out, then they returned and have completed the degree. Um, they have a 335, which is decent, but a little bit below the mean of, of schools that they're targeting. <clears throat> um, their test score is also below the, the, um, the, the, the median of the schools that they're targeting. Um, so they have a 650 on the GMAT. They've also taken the GRE. In that case, they got, I think it was a 312. Yes. Um, if, 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 if I remember correctly, they also state that they did actually have a 690 in another GMAT test, but there was an issue or an error, a proctor error. So, so they have a T on the report. So there's some, some issues in combination, the undergraduate degree and the test score that might make the top programs pretty nervous in terms of absolutely showing that you will be successful in the curriculum. Because what what MBA programs want to do, they want to admit people that won't won't struggle through the program. They want to thrive in the academic aspects so that they have the time and, 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 and so on and so forth to really make the most of other elements of the MBA experience. So they're going to have to overcome that particular hurdle. They might do that by potentially retaking the, 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 the test and, and getting that higher score. They might also do it by taking MBA math or HBS core to show that they're ready and, and so forth. I think they've articulated that their, their transcript itself shows a good level of quant. They, they, their work experience shows some good rigor in quant. So they feel that they can show it, but I think that they need to absolutely show it more explicitly, maybe through uh, HPS Core MBA Math. So, so there's that side of the, the candidacy. Now, there's no doubt if you're an underrepresented uh, minority um, that you may um, get, get a little bit of a pass in, 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 in some aspects, but only if, and this is my case here, because I know this is something we wanted to debate a little bit, Graham, only if that's shown how far you have come, i.e. your opportunities were, were very limited at an early stage of your, your um, life or whatever it is, and you've overcome several hurdles and you've been able to come far. Um, this candidate strikes me that they can check those boxes, Graham. Um, so they've had, they, they said they've got a real marketable story, their life story, they've had several disadvantages and so on and so forth. And, and worked through all that, got multiple promotions at work and, and have succeeded. So it might well be that the ADCOM really wants to admit this candidate. And we've talked about these types of candidates before, Graham. They really want to admit this candidate because they've seen how far they've come and all the obstacles that they've overcome and so on and so forth. But, but they might still be a bit nervous on, on the, this sort of number side, Graham. So my advice would be absolutely get MBA Math or HBS core done or at least illust- you know, share with, with the top programs that they're targeting that they're doing that. 
um, if they can retake the test or whatever, that's very good too, um, to help shore up that side so that the AgCom could be like, I really want to admit this guy, and they're doing all the right steps right now, so I'm going to take a little bit of a risk, admit them. Yeah, you're, I think you've really highlighted all the key issues here. I mean, this candidate obviously has to submit an optional essay. They're going to have to explain both the GMAT. Um, if they did get that 690, I think it'd be very smart to mention, hey, took it, got a 690, but there was a proctoring issue. And so the score that I'm submitting that's the you know valid score is a 650. But as you can see, I am capable of better there. Um, I think the GPA is fine. But you know, it, it's this issue of like, wow, if they had a 4.0 and a 650, I'd give them a potential pass, or especially with that 690 storyline. But yeah, there's all these sort of issues here. And I worry, you know, if they didn't ever go back to college, we may run into some purely mechanical issues. Like I believe there are some schools out there that literally cannot admit someone who doesn't have an advanced degree um, in terms of, you know, having an undergraduate degree or at least a master's or something um, because of there are some accreditation issues that come into play. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but I want to say like MIT might be a school that's sort of like, there's no debating. If you don't have an undergraduate degree, you you know, it doesn't fly. So I just don't know if they went back and finished. That is a big concern for me. I'm also just worried that they have overcome a lot and that's going to, you know, they'll get points for that, no doubt. Um, but I do worry, you know, there's always this fear when you take a risk on a candidate as an admissions officer that they may not make it, you know? And so the, the worst thing on earth is to bring someone into your program who just doesn't, you know, who drops out, um, because they're, they struggle with the curriculum or whatever it is. And so I just, whatever this candidate can do to assure the reader that, not only are they going to survive, as you said, but they're going to thrive. It's, it's going to be really important. Um, so, and I think, you know, it sounds like an incredible story and I'm hoping that the essays are, are really beautifully written and that the storyline is there so that from the moment I start reading these essays, if I'm the admissions reader, I'm rooting, you know, hard for this candidate because there are a number of obstacles that they're sort of, <laughs> um, that they've got here, you know, from the 312 or 650 on the GRE and GMAT. Um, to the dropout story. So they've, they've got to overcome that stuff if they're going to get in. I think the likelihood of them making the cut at some of the very top schools on their list is is far lower, you know, than, than, you know, some of the slightly lower ranking schools on the list. So we'll see how it falls, but very interesting profile. And yeah, I mean, and as you'll see, we have a little bit of a theme here with college, <laughs> uh, with, with college degrees as we'll get into shortly, but is there anything else you wanted to say on this candidate? No, I wish him the very best of luck. Yeah, same here. Um, and thanks for submitting. And, and thanks for picking that one out, Alex. That has a lot of interesting uh, dimensions. So now we're going to get into Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry. It's someone who's applying now um, in round two to start in the fall. They have three schools on the list. Uh, those schools are Harvard, INSEAD, and London Business School. They've been working in uh, nonprofit, tertiary education, and startups. That's kind of the career to date. And then post MBA, they want to get into technology or VC. And they list a number of companies, including Google, Tesla, uh, Canva, um, Atlassian. Um, and they're, you know, so they seem like they have a range of options that they're considering. GMAT score 730, years of work experience five. This candidate is located in Australia. Um, she mentions that she's actually um, from the Philippines originally, but is a permanent resident in Australia now. Um, and she mentioned in her notes as well, she said, hi guys, I'm a listener since I started my journey. Thank you for keeping me inspired. So that must be why you picked her, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but she explains, goes on to explain in her notes that there is a lot of hinky stuff in my profile and many days I wonder if I'm being too ambitious. And here's why. She explains that she was expelled from university uh, back in Manila at the age of 19. Um, she has a learning disability that she did not know about at the time, and so she does not have an undergraduate degree. Um, but she did go back to school and was um, put sort of fast-tracked into a Master of Marketing degree from a you know decent university in Australia, and she graduated with distinction. Um, that was like a 75 average out of 100, but apparently that, you know, it sounds like it was a pretty rigorous program and no great inflation. So um, graduated with distinction from a master's in marketing, and then she built her career, you know, via a whole bunch of different work experience, um, which we can get into. So this is a candidate also with a kind of no college degree because she was expelled, uh, but she does have a master's and did okay in it. And then her GMAT scores sound. So what do you make of this, Alex? Because there's a lot to dissect here and it you know relates a little bit to our first candidate, this lack of a college degree potentially. Yeah, I mean, th this is a super interesting case, I think, um, because I don't know the, the exact right answer to this. Obviously, the, the candidate has a master's degree and they, they, they'd wanted to pursue an undergraduate degree um, at the second go around. But I think they were advised that they should do the master's because of the level of where they're at and so on and so forth. Right. Um, so um, but the question is, Graham, I mean, a master's degree is a two year degree versus an undergrad that's a four year degree. So I don't know if there the will be schools that will, um, um, you know, make that distinction and, and be concerned that they only have a two-year degree. So, so, so there is a little bit of question there, but let's assume that they did well in the master's. I want to know a little bit more about the, the you know, what, why they were expelled from, from their undergrad, but it does sound like it was um, because of academic um, work and there was a learning disability issue that they've now been able to overcome. So if that's the case, that's very, very good that they've been able to overcome it. And obviously, it looks like they've been super, super successful, um, both in their career and obviously with the master's degree um, subsequently. So so they can make the case that whatever the issue was that, that got them expelled won't reoccur um, in, in their MBA program, because that's another issue. Like, you know, if you do have a big black mark somewhere in your profile, you've got to explain it, but you've also got to convince the adcom that it's not going to reoccur. So I think they're fine in, in that regard. I love their work experience. I think they've done some really super, super interesting stuff. Don't think we need to really get into detail about that, because mostly this is about what to do with, with the academics. So I think, and, and maybe this is just a, 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 something I have in my mind, but you, you might um, have, have a clearer thought on this, Graham. Because they're targeting European-based um, MBA programs, the top European-based, they, they might provide a little bit more leeway into the fact that they've done a master's and not an undergrad than some of the US schools. Um, but nevertheless, this this. Perhaps even like our first candidate, that optional essay is going to be super, super important. One of the questions this candidate had is, would they be filtered out um, before their application is actually reviewed? Because it looks like they don't have an undergraduate degree, i.e. They they're not able to fill that out in the data forms. And the answer to that question is no, their application will still be read. And therefore, that optional essay will be super important. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is exactly the kind of candidacy that, 
you know, someone's going to put a little bit of a question mark on it and it's going to go to committee where they'll probably talk about it as a team at each of these schools. I, I think, you know, to your point, I agree. The European programs may be a bit more lenient and sort of just looking at, well, look, this person has a master's. And as you correctly pointed out, I mean, she applied for a bachelor's um, when she decided to go back to school, but they were, you know, they basically, she was evaluated by a professor over the course of an entire semester to sort of, I think they had some reticence about bringing her into a program given, you know, that she had been expelled for academic reasons from the last one. And and after that semester, the professor said, you know what, she should do a master's. That's the level that she's really at. Um, it sounds like, you know, intellectually. So that, you know, so she did well there. You know, you mentioned we shouldn't talk about the work experience much, but I think it's worth just mentioning that, you know, she's basically helped a university startup accelerator um, grow by leaps and bounds. And, you know, she's leading a team. She's helped alumni um, startups raise over $35 million. So she's done some really impressive things work-wise um, that make her appealing. And again, I got to go back to that GMAT score, 730 that eases my fears a little bit. You know, it's like when you have a weakness, like a, an academic weakness, the best way to address it is to have a really solid test score. Um, so it's sort of like the same way it works the other way too. If you have a low test score, but a really high GPA, that helps, you know? So it just, um, and that's what we weren't really necessarily seeing in the first candidate um, this week, you know, where there's kind of a, the GPA is okay, but we don't know if they finished undergrad. And then, you know, the, the GMAT is not up to par. So here I'm feeling a little bit better if I had to compare these, these two candidates. Uh, but yeah, very interesting case. And I think you're right. The optional essay is going to be critical, or in some cases, schools may ask actually directly um, for, you know, they, they don't even um, require that you use the optional essay. They have a specific question about academics where you can explain. So anyway, she's going to have to explain this stuff. What do you think of school selection? Because she mentioned, am I being too ambitious? And, and it's true. She basically has Harvard and then INSEAD and LBS, and, and that is sort of shooting for the moon. So I don't know, I know you had some dialogue with her to try to encourage her to look at some additional options too. Yeah, I mean, she's shoot, shooting for the moon. She she spent some time, I think, either at Harvard or, or in, in that area. And that's why Harvard's on the list. Yeah. But mostly she's targeting top European-based business schools. Um, so obviously INSEAD and LBS are, are going to fit into that bucket. Is she, a, is she a reach at INSEAD and LBS? I don't know. If they can overcome this undergraduate degree issue, I think she fits right in there, quite honestly, Graham. But also, um, she's also going to apply to judge. Yeah. The, uh, the thing that makes me a little bit queasy is she, she, she's going to identify a couple of other programs and apply in the following round. And I want to make it clear that round two is going to maximize your opportunity at this point. When you're starting to look at rounds three and four, the admit rates are going to drop because most schools are going to be looking at their first and second rounds to fill the bulk of their classes. Yeah, that's fair. And the last thing I wanted to mention is that she talked about, you know, wanting to maybe land in Australia or really stay in Australia long term. And so you were, you know, in the comments and notes going back and forth with her about that a little bit. And so I, I think the point you were trying to make was, you know, be mindful of these programs networks in Australia and the reputation. And so I think Cambridge is smart. Yeah. You could argue Oxford for the same reasons. Um, both of those programs are short duration as well. So certainly things to consider. I don't know where she's going to go from here. Uh, Asha say Paris is a possibility as well. Again, not quite as, you know, not, not a full two-year type program. So she could consider, th those are some of the top schools, you know, obviously across Europe. 
um, there are the schools in Spain as well, but I would do some investigating if I were her as to like, what's the population of alumni like, and, and what's the recognition, you know, if she were to talk to business leaders in Australia, some of these VC people that she's probably been, you know, having contact with, do they know all of these programs and what, which ones really, you know, um, jump out at them because that could help her too. But I, yeah, I could not agree with you more though, that if she, if a school can get past the expulsion from undergrad and, and her kind of picking herself up, getting a master's, doing well in it and having this, you know, great GMAT result, then I think, yeah, you're right. She becomes a really compelling candidate. So it's all about, can they get past that initial hurdle? And I hope for her, you know, for her sake that they can, seems really interesting. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Best of luck. Yeah. Um, thanks for that post. Hopefully she'll keep us posted one way or the other, either by email or, or maybe with a decision wire post uh, down the road. And, and that brings us to Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is a decision wire <laughs> entry. It's our first of the season, Alex. Um, as, as some of our listeners may know, you know, we tend to focus on apply wire entries when it's full on admission season. But as decisions come out, we often will pepper in some decision wire posts where we can debate someone's results and, and where they should go. Um, so this decision wire entry comes from a candidate who's gonna start school in the fall. They are undecided about where to attend. And they've been, um, let's see, they applied to Duke, Emory, Georgetown, Michigan, and NYU. And they indicate that they were admitted to Emory, Georgetown, Michigan, and Stern. Um, so I guess they've kind of run the table so far, although maybe they didn't have the Duke result when they posted here. Um, so in any event, so far doing really well with lots of offers. They also mentioned that they have a free ride at Georgetown, so big scholarship there. And that for them, it's really coming down to that free ride at Georgetown or Stern. And that's for geographic reasons. So we could get in debating, oh, you know, isn't Michigan a stronger program, whatever. But they, they've ruled out Michigan for one reason or another. They want to be in D.C. or New York. And so they've narrowed it down to two schools. They want to work in tech. And the companies on their list are Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft. GMAT score was 710 if you're keeping score at home. And, you know, they just indicate that they really want to be a product manager at a fang company and that based on their research, they think Stern gives them a bit of a better chance to achieve that goal. But they're wondering if it's worth taking on all that extra debt um, if McDonough is giving them basically a free ride. So what say you, Alex? I know you had some debate and we both weighed in on the post on the website, but what, what do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, di different candidates have a different sort of risk tolerance to taking on debt. So we have to factor that in at the outset. We don't know the personal resources of this candidate and their level of risk tolerance um, in, that, in that case. Um, so if, if, if they're obviously coming from somewhere where, where you know, you know maybe, maybe they've had to bootstrap their life to get to where they are today and, and so on and so forth, maybe getting that full scholarship is is really the pathway to go um, because I, I think there's probably a good chance that you go to McDonough and get and I think you, you quoted some pretty good statistics Graham you know 120 130,000 salary um, coming out um, and so on and so forth so hopefully that um, is is um, you know uh, quite quite clear, but but then the other side of it is if they have a a high um, tolerance for risk, um, they're going to go into significant debt going to Stern. Probably the cost of living is a little bit higher at Stern also, 
um, um, in, in terms of being in New York. But the, the level of opportunities coming out of Stern, you know, Stern being one or two tiers above um, or higher up in, in the hierarchy than, than McDonough, that, that sort of the, the level of opportunities in the short run may well be more appealing. The quality of the student body is going to be more appealing um, in terms of the types of folks you're going to be engaging with over the next couple of years, as well as the alumni network, the, the reach and the depth of that alumni network, both in the short run and the long run, is going to provide more potential value. Um, so those, to me, are the two um, key areas. It's really down to what is the risk tolerance for this candidate. Some candidates will absolutely choose McDonough in this situation. Other candidates will absolutely choose Stern in this situation. Yeah, it is a really tough call. Um, and I, I did want to mention they uh, in the notes, when we started to have this back and forth with them, they mentioned, thanks, Alex and Graham, really love the podcast and can attribute the results above to advice from the podcast. So um, it's really nice to hear that they think, at least, that we played a small part in their getting all these positive um, results. But, you know, this is a really difficult decision. I think, you know, you put it really well. I did do some digging and it turns out, as I mentioned earlier um, on the show, that, you know, 26% of the graduating class at Georgetown um, goes into, you know, consulting, 31% goes into consulting at Stern, you know, and so I was looking at that. I was also looking at um, tech, you know, and, you know, I mentioned earlier that, um, what was it? Let's see, I'm just looking up this figure here. We've got, yeah, it was 17% of the Georgetown graduating class that went into tech. And I think that number, I don't have Stern's number in front of me, but this is the kind of stuff that they need to do some digging on. And I mentioned that because consulting and tech are, those are two really common paths. This person talks about wanting to be a project manager. Um, I find often, you know, people looking at tech that, you know, they might have a fallback for consulting or something. So I would look at these, you know, it's interesting that the companies on this person's list, Amazon is one of their targets. And we know Amazon's, you know, East Coast headquarters are in the DC area. Um, they were originally going to be in New York, but that was um, passed over for, for the DC area. So, you know, that maybe factors in, I don't know what the relationship is that you know, McDonough has with Amazon um, and that particular, you know, the, the kind of new presence that Amazon's building in the in the D.C. area. But then again, you could also argue that, you know, geez, you know, the Google presence in New York and a lot of the, you know, the other firms on their list have a big New York presence uh, beyond, you know, about Silicon Valley presence, too. So it's it's tricky, I, you know. Uh, again, no one's going to argue that Stern is the higher ranked school and has been for many, many years, you know, um, so it, it's tricky. I mean, it is, there is a stark contrast though, in the sense that if this would be an easier decision, if it was like, oh, I got a 25% scholarship to go to Georgetown and I have to pay full fare to go to Stern, then it becomes a lot easier. It's more when like you could graduate completely debt free that you get into the, um, the dilemma, I think. Um, but it's a tough call. And, you know, I, I do remember, I think Stern's average starting salary is around 155K. So a good 20 grand more per year than the average starting salary out of Georgetown. But again, we're talking about different markets and, you know, the, the placement um, geography is much more New York heavy, right, for Stern. So that probably explains, you know, there's a higher cost of living in New York. So yeah, this is a tough call. Um, Alex, if it were you, like, what would you do? I mean, I guess you're saying it really depends on your risk tolerance. Well, and, and actually, there's a bit of another factor here that I, I wanted to tackle real quick. Mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of 
their prior experience and and you know which we, i don't think we really know uh, what 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 industry and so on and so forth this person's coming from i'm assuming they've got some kind of technical degree mm-hmm. in terms of looking for product management type role in in fan companies um but i wonder if if um a, a, a opportunity like stern which i believe offers sort of in semester sort of work experience opportunities and internships. Um, I don't know if, if Georgetown does that at the same level or, or whether, you know, there's as much accessibility to doing that. But I guess my point here is, Graham, if they really need to ratchet up that side of their profile in order to get the opportunities going out of the MBA, that may then favour um, Stern a little bit more. Yeah, and I actually encourage them to just have a conversation with the career services folks at, at both programs and, and you know, do some digging there um, based on, you know, again, we don't know enough about their background, but I, I think having those conversations would be smart. Um, again, it, yeah, this is a tough call. And it's obviously, you know, one of the things I think people will, will learn as they hear us debate these things in the coming months is that we're not going to be overly prescriptive because it really depends on the candidate. You know, we don't know, um, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of factors that we find come into play, spouses, family, you know, um, uh, obviously career, ROI, risk tolerance, all that stuff. So, but I think it's good to get all these issues on the table in this case. And and so, and, you know, the candidate's done some of the hard work already and that they've narrowed it down to just a couple of schools. So again, I want to wish them the best of luck. I know, um, I can sense at least from what they've said here that they're going to thrive wherever they go. Um, these are all great schools. And so they can't really go wrong. Um, but I recognize it can be a little bit um, <laughs> challenging to make some of these decisions. Um, you know, just, yeah. So I would, you know, t- I would encourage them to keep digging, do some research, think about it over the holidays, and then hopefully come up with a decision. Very good. Best of luck to this candidate. Yeah, absolutely. So Alex, thanks for picking these out. Um, some very cool parallels between the undergraduate issue. And I love that we've now gotten into some decision wire discussion. That's always one of my favorite parts of the year. Um, but yeah, we'll see you next week. I guess we'll just keep running these through the holidays. You know, I'm, I'm not doing anything. So we'll, we'll just keep keep going through them. Hopefully we get some nice entries um, based on all these decisions coming out and, you know, people thinking about round two. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode. Stay tuned, everyone. Best of luck. Stay safe.